Hello, I'm Ken Crowder and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on BBC Sounds. This week, Lucy Chamberlain is my special guest and we're taking your calls on everything from crab apples, raised beds and, yes, sweet chestnuts. We've also got some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden, plus plant of the week. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Let's start with plant of the week and I'm going for viola. Now, viola is from the violet family and in that species there are 525 to 600 different species. They're mainly in the northern hemisphere. They're mainly perennial A few of them are actually annuals. Pansy, believe it or not, are part of the viola family, but they're called pansies, but they are of the same ilk. Personally, I always go for a viola. I like them because they're small flowering, they flower continuously, you don't have to worry about deadheading quite as much, and they really are lovely. They have simple leaf structure that um, looks a bit like stipules, And the flowers, five petals, fan-shaped petal, and the seeds are in sort of like three valves. They're fascinating, actually, because as they dry, they'll open, and then they inject the seeds everywhere. However, you can pick them and save them, and in fact, grow them on from there. Ants love viola seeds, so they actually disperse them as well. So there's lots of things that are intriguing about violas often uh, mixed of colours. They started out sort of blues and yellows, but today with, you know, the different hybridisation, we have got some lovely faces on them. Gorgeous mix. Some of them with little tiger faces, even. They put up with most soils. They like a sunny position because they'll flower well, and they're great for containers and even hanging baskets. Talking of which, there's a trailing viola available now. The flowers, interestingly, are edible and considered by the Greek as a symbol of fertility and love and were used in love potions. So if you want to get your life really moving, go out and buy violas. Violas will flower right through the winter. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. We go straight to your calls. And this week, we're going to be starting off with Mike in Chelmsford. My question is, I have a weeping crabapple red jade, but the new growth at the end of the whips are curling back upwards. Is this oh, normal? Do I, I can, I, can I just get in here to anybody <laughs> listening? Crabapple red jade is fantastic. It's one of my favourite weeping it? I, crabs. I must admit, when Mike, you mentioned that name, Ken's face lit up. Yeah, it's, like it's, a it's super <laughs> apple. Well, it was super his recommendation one. that I yeah. followed. So how how low are these branches that you say they're curling up? Well, they come down. I suppose it's about getting on for two metres tall and the branches, like the new whips, as they come down, just the ends begin to curl back up again. Most peculiar. The ordinary branches that were established are fine. It's just the new growth. So temporarily I've tied it back to the tree trunk itself. Well, not much of a trunk. 
I reckon it would write itself in time, don't you, Ken? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's the kind of thing that you. I, I, th- I think, Mike. In all honesty, I, I would just leave well alone. Don't, yeah. don't yeah. try and tie things back too much. Um, right. the, the, I'm sure the tree will just write itself because if it's got that natural habit to weep, even if the new growth is up, at gravity over time as it leaves up and, be- and becomes heavier, that will just still carry on weeping. The only, the only bits that you would worry about is like Kilmarnock willows sometimes come out at the very top. Don't they, uh, Lucy? Well, Do you know what gra- I mean? They'll yeah. come out the top and go sideways. That's where it's been gra- grafted onto want, something. You don't want that, do no. you? No, no, no. But this apple, I'm guessing, mm. isn't a, isn't grafted like in that manner. It's just the no, shoot it's top tips, grafted isn't it? And drops down. Yeah, and it's the shoot tips that we're mm. talking about. So I, I think my honestly, just, just, just wait, wait well, a little bit um, longer, and it will sort, it will write itself. Yeah. Okay, I'll come back if it doesn't. <laughs> okay. okay. Thanks for your help. No Pleasure. Uh, from Mike, we go to John. Where are you, Bishop Stortford, um, John? Yes, Bishop Stortford, yeah. Hi, ah, nice to Good talk morning. to you. What what uh, beds are we talking about today? Uh, I've got a, a raised bed garden um, plot that's uh, in a very shaded area. It, mm-hmm. In fact, it's under a oak tree, so it's very shaded. And I wonder if you could let me know what sort of vegetables I could grow in that area. Ah, oh, okay. So, so it's difficult. One, it will be it? a bit tricky, John, because, um, like you say, you've got the shade, but also you've probably got an extensive root system of that oak tree there. Maybe making the soil a little bit dry as well. Do you find that, or is it okay? Yeah, a little bit dry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But what you've got there, because you've got that raised bed system, you can actually add compost to the raised bed, which will then, that will, that area will then be root-free. So that in itself is, is very handy. Um, and when it comes to plants that are happy in shade... Go for leafy veg, go for things like, you, you could even maybe do some sowings now of Swiss chard, perpetual spinach, um, things like annual spinach or rocket, any of those leafy... Brassicas, you could... Le- well, le- can you still get, sides. could you buy plants at this time? You might be able to get some cabbages, couldn't you, you still? Yeah, I think if, if you, you wanted about? winter brassicas, you'd have to find transplants. Mm. It might be a little bit late, but you never know. There might be people selling them locally that have got them in larger pots. Or, um, as I say, there's, there's loads of hardy salads, things like a land cress or rocket, corn salad, purslane, all those sorts of things can be sown. And that because they're leafy, they are happier in shade. If you're trying to grow things like um, sweet peppers or chilli peppers or tomatoes, they really, really do need the sunshine, uh, John. But, but yeah, yeah. Any, anything leafy, plop it, in, plop it in that raised bed. And as long as you keep it well mulched and watered, then you should be fine. OK. All right? All right. Yeah. Thanks very much. No worries. And uh, I think it's very important what you said there, uh, Lucy, is compost. Keep adding it every time you put a new crop in. Add more compost. Exactly. Feel it because it keeps rotting down. Yeah. And we go to another John. Hello, John (laughs) from Shenfield. Oh, hello, Ken. I think this is your favourite hate one, but uh, Leyland eye trees, the conifers. Yeah. I planted six in this garden six years ago. They were Mm -hmm. They're 18 foot now, Lovely. and I want to make them bigger because someone's put an extension on the end of my garden, and it's an eyesore. I've got to go at least another eight foot to cover it up. What can I do to keep them, make them grow bigger? I'm getting I think, it. <clears throat> right. No, I don't hate hate the land eye at all. I think oh. the land eye have had a very poor uh, deal in the publicity department because they were never controlled. And the biggest problem with the Lalandi is that um, throughout the country, no one has ever thought of controlling them. They are a great tree. They do a great job. 
but they need regular treatment of pruning. And the thing that you're doing is to, to get good coverage, you actually still need to keep them shaped. And if you don't cut, say, the fronts and the backs preferably, they'll go thin and wispy. You won't get the coverage. All you can do is water and feed, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, no, completely. I, th- I think that's that's. But I've got on. a real thing about people just letting them grow yeah. instead of controlling that's them. The t- if you if you have a Leylandii or any other large conifer, yeah. and then you need to try to renovate it, that's when people come and come unstuck because you when you when you hard prune the majority of conifers, they don't regenerate from that real hard pruning. You've got to keep them clipped and just keep shaving off those outer bits of foliage and that's all you can really do so and then it thickens and thickens doesn't it so that's what you need to do john is still keep the sides cut don't cut the top obviously because you want the height but still keep those sides trimmed and as ken says you know mulching watering feeding all that kind of stuff will allow them to get to the height that you want but then do do still keep them trimmed uh you've still got to top them out yeah you have to because any any conifer um Leylandia can make lovely hedges as long as they're mm-hmm. regularly maintained and it's when they're not maintained that's when it can all go horribly wrong so yeah, Does I've that been, help you, John? I've been trimming the front and the back yeah. I've, left a, I've left a little spindly piece at the top I didn't want to touch that yeah, all sounds no, great. that's fine. And then just, but like I say, lots of water, because although the, the soil s- surface is quite moist, we've had a few regular spells of rain this year. Not enough. The, so. the, the, the groundwater levels are still in- incredibly dry, so give everything a really good soak. Um, that's still a knock-on effect from last year's summer trout, wasn't it, I think, that yeah. uh, it still is very, very dry down there. So give them a good old soaking. Um, a mulch as well to lock in that moisture, and maybe have some fertiliser sprinkled on there as well, and that should, uh, should do some good for them. Lovely. Right. Thank you very, very much. Okay, John. And the only thing the only thing you're up against with with Lolandi is that there are there's law are they bylaws? If they're in local authority, that's a bylaw, isn't it? What, what kind they, of bylaw are you thinking? There of? is a bylaw on conifer trees, isn't hmm. there? When they cut out light, um, isn't there? There is, although I think that. That, it depends on the local authority, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, the law for the right for light is uh, is all very um, ambiguous and difficult it to is. prove. So, so yeah. So I think that the, basically the moral of anyone owning a big con of hedge is to keep it nicely trimmed and then it will look beautiful. They do. Yes. And uh, again, if you want an instant one, they do an instant job. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Sheila in Church Langley. Hello, Sheila. Oh, We're hi, talk- hello, Ken. And Ken what, you're, talking to, to... you're talking to Martos, aren't you? Oh, sorry, sorry, Martha. Yes, hello. Uh, Martha, I'm wondering what to do with my tomatoes. Uh, now, I've got lots of lovely green tomatoes, and I'm wondering, is it time now to pick them or hang on to them and hope they will go red? Or what's Right, we're going to ask Lucy, because, Lucy, you you grow lots of tomatoes. I do. Are they still yeah. on the vines, or have you taken them off? We've got a bit of... Um, Sheila, we've got... Um, where I work is the... They've got the lovely wall kitchen garden, and I grow tomatoes in the greenhouse there and also outside against the, the south and west-facing yeah, walls. And yeah. so they're starting to colour up... Uh, well, they've been colouring up now for the last a good month. Um, and I've also probably going to have a, quite a few fruits left on the vines that, that, that I need to then bring into the warmth maybe in late October into the greenhouse and ripen them up in there. So are yours growing outside or inside? Uh, they're outside. Outside. And have they, have they started to ripen at all yet? Oh, yes, yes, a few. But there's lots and lots that are green now. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is it 
sensible to store them now like some people do, put them away in the drawer, wrap them in brown paper sort yeah, of thing. I wouldn't it's worry. Warm, it's, it? it's, say it's, it's, I wouldn't worry for the moment. I mean, we're only in early September and the, we're still having temperatures. I know tomorrow's going to be a lovely warm mm. day and the, the tomatoes will ripen better on the plant as much if you can leave them on the plant. So I would do that as a preference. But right. yeah, when it starts to get to maybe late September, early October, um, if you've got some decent sized fruits on those tomato plants, they're the ones that have got the best chance of ripening. Okay. Um, so they can be picked off and laid on a sunny windowsill, something like that. Um, if you've got lots and lots of tiny, tiny fruits that are very juvenile and you know they're not going to get big enough, cut those off now because what that will do is focus the tomato's energy into the ripening the fruits that remain. Let's look now at some of those events around the county. September the 17th, I'm going to start with. And on September the 17th, yep. What have we got? We've got the Fairing Flower Club. That meets at the Community Centre, Cockleshaw Road, starts at 7.30. And Anne Bell from Little Canfield is doing a subject, well, the flower display is titled From Me to You. Yet yeah, it's at the Community Centre, 7.30, September the 17th, CO59QB. Sorry, missed something out on the 16th of September. 7pm, the birds of the Blackwater Lecture. And that's at the Fingering Ho Wick Nature Reserve, South Green Road, CO57DN. Also on the 17th of September, we'll jump back to the 17th, at 7.45, the Malden and Haybridge Flower uh, Horticultural Society, sorry, not Flower, Horticultural Society, have their autumn show. And that's in the United Reform Church Hall in Malden. Now, there's something else on the 17th which I need to find. Oh, the Braintree Group of the Essex Wildlife Trust on the 17th at 7.30 have a talk on dragonflies and damselflies. Look at how they breed, feed and live. If you want more information on that, it's 07742-294-358. I'm going to jump back now to the 21st of September. A Ranger Ramble. And that, the Ranger Ramble, is at Fingering Ho Wick Nature Reserve, CO57DN, kicks off at 10.30. And if you want more information on that, it's 01206 729 678. Don't forget, keep your events coming in, and we will post them up onto the, yes... It's a gardening podcast. Send them to ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk and we'll get it mentioned. If you like sending them in the post, just send them to Ken Crowther at P.O. Box 765, Chelmsford, CM2 9XB. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Let's now go to Steve in Linford. Hello, Steve. Hi, Ken. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Steve. Um, Hello. Want to say uh, firstly, Ken, thanks for the um, email and the tips regarding the Mahonia. Okay. Um, I went uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, last weekend, I was around Colchester Zoo with a grandchild. Saw half a dozen Mahonias looking very, dis- uh, very much the same, coppery on the top. So anybody yes. with Mahonias like that. Um, uh, it seems to be kind of something this year, as you say, maybe a shock or something. A shock um, and drying out. It's a lot of dryness this year has caused lots of problems. Yeah. What I'm uh, bringing for today is, is a big ask to your listeners regarding garden birds. 
and um, uh, it's the 70th anniversary of the Essex Birdwatching Society. And next weekend, we want gardeners and people kind of to watch their gardens and count the birds um, and then kind of report their sightings. We're very interested to get a picture of bird life across the, uh, across the kind of uh, county. Things like song thrush, we don't see them like we used to do. Mm. Um, but yet kind of collared doves and wood pigeons, we're seeing more of them. So wondering whether your, your listeners could help us with is, that. Is there a site that they can go to? There is, yeah. What's um, that? Yes, it's Birdwatching Society website, which is um, www.ebws.org.uk. Um, yeah. Uh, so org.uk and then forward slash BCBW. It's Big County Birdwatch. BC. BW. BW. Yep. You also are asking about raspberries, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just to finish that, we've also got on the website walks all over the um, county which people can get involved in the free of charge. Yeah, I've got a Joan Jay raspberry cane, um, which I got earlier this year and planted. We've had, um, you know, kind of a handful of raspberries kind of every week off that, which has been nice for the porridge in the morning. Yeah, and lovely. I've also just recently bought in the kind of, you know, the gardening sales a tullamine uh, version. Uh, I want to know whether I need to be pruning either of those now. So have you, are they both, they're both new plants from this year, Steve, are they? Yeah, they are. This year, the cane was about mm. two foot tall and it's kind of, uh, the growth has sprung off from that. Um, the other one's just a small plant in a pot, really. And I What, think the second one? Was that the second one? Fruit. The second one was a small plant in a pot? Ptolemine. Ptolemine. Yeah. That's yeah. the Ptolemine. But two, I mean, yeah. So they're both they're both summer fruiting ones, Steve, aren't they? Those two. I thought the Joan Jay was an autumn. That's uh, what we're just going to double check on. Although it has fruited throughout the summer. Yeah. Um, end of July and August. That, that does sometimes happen with the autumn fruiting raspberries. The side shoots that are lower down the stem will actually act like a summer raspberry. Uh, so have you got um, long extension growth on the tulamine? Uh, not on the tulamine, no. Right. Okay. On the on the um, tulamines are late summer. Yeah. So right, so on what... the Joan Jay, mm-hmm. I actually had these what I thought were suckers coming up. Yeah. And I thought kind of they were suckers because they were coming out from low from the ground, and so I pulled them out and tried to repot them as um, new no. plants, but they don't. Right. No, leave, leave. I'm hoping I haven't lost my raspberries for next year. Leave well alone, Steve, on those. So with the Joan Jay, if they're suckering at the base, that will be canes It's an autumn that, one. Yeah, that would be one that would then, those canes would have then fruited this autumn. So if the Joan Jay throws up any more canes from the base, leave those. Well, they're not, probably not going to fr- fruit this autum. But yeah, so the Joan Jay, we've like, so we've, we've got there now it's so the joan jay is the autumn variety and that one when it comes to pruning you just cut all the stems down in late november december and then all the the new growth next year will will start from soil level there'll be nothing there it will grow and grow and grow and then come the autumn it will crop so that's how you treat the joan jay you don't need to tie it in or support it or do anything like that it's a freestanding raspberry in that sense fantastic and then the tulamine, what you ideally should have, that's why I was asking about the, the, the length of the canes, mm-hmm. really what you're wanting is a, a nice abundance of new canes on the tulamine because they will then crop next year. In summer. Right, okay. yeah, in be- summer. Yeah, because that's a summer raspberry and that will crop on last year's canes, as in the canes you've got now, they will then crop next, next year. year. And they need to be tied in onto wires um, so that they can then fruit next year. 
Right, okay. So I think because yours is still quite young, I wouldn't give up on it. I think it no. just needs time to settle in and then it will make some new extension canes. Possibly next year. For next year. And then they will fruit the following year. Hope that sorts out your raspberries. And now we go to Kerwin, wasn't it? In Colchester. Hello, Kerwin. Uh, good morning, Ken. What are we talking about today, Kerwin? Chestnuts. Is it a good deal or a bad deal? Chestnuts. Well, yeah, my lots of them, but they're small. My my parents have a small holding that's that's not in action now. They're retired, and it's got a four-acre chestnut woodland around it, and uh, they look pretty good to me, as far as I can I can see. Oh, good, good. So, I, have, you, have you got, Cohen? Have you got any chestnut woods? Trees down where right. I live, yeah, um, and they've been fruiting good up until now, so. Lovely. Um, I was just wondering if they were, you know, with the hot weather, um, they would do so well this year. Yeah, and I think also we've had quite a lot of steady, although, as I say, the, the, the groundwater might still be a bit dry, we've had quite a lot of steady rainfall this year, which is good for swelling up things like fruits and nuts as well. So, um, yeah, I think from what you're saying about the trees down the road from you and what I can say about the trees in Crockerford Heath, where my parents are living, <laughs> they're all looking pretty good when it comes to a nut harvest this year. But you're going to be needing to wait until um, maybe month, going into late September, October for, for them to brown up. Although, as a child, I used to quite like them white. I do. Yeah, because they're, they're, like, uh, they're more wet and mm. crunchy that way. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah so, I like that. Yes, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see you down the road there, Kerwin. All right. Okay. Thank you, thank you very much for your call, Kerwin. And we go now to, where are we going? To, to Ray in Windersambo. Hello, Ray. Haven't spoken to you for a little while. Morning, Morning, Lucy. Hi, Ray. Hi. Um, okay, I need to talk Agapanthus. Yeah. It's a foreign language, but hey, we'll understand it. Um, right, I've grown those from seed, and oh, they're lovely. about three or four years old, so I'm not expecting them to flower, but I've had... Hardly any flowers on my large plants I've had a few years, and there's a one, two, oh, it must be about ten pots of them, but only three of them or four of them have flowered this year, and they're well packed in. Right. Um, so that was going to be my question. <laughs> about the winter time, what I should be doing to them. Should I put them inside? Should I water them during the winter? Should I do, or should yeah. I leave them all dry? Are they the hardy varieties or non-hardy? Now, I mean, to be honest, my wife despairs. There's hundreds of <laughs> pots of seeds <laughs> growing like mad. Um, but um, so yeah, so they are. What was the quick? Yeah, they're, they're all in are they the hardy evergreen ones or not? They are the hardy evergreen ones. Yes, they've stood out all winter. So yes, okay. they are hardy evergreen. They are hardy. Yeah. So cause, because you just so the listeners understand, you get two types of agapanthus. You get those that have, uh, are, are fully hardy and can be outside for the winter, and then those and keep that, most of their leaf. Don't yeah, they? and then you get some that and are more delicate and tender and need some protection through the winter months. So they're best grown yeah. in the pot and then moved under cover. So you're saying, Ray, that all the plants you're growing are fully hardy and tend to be outside most of the time they've been out all year yeah, yes yeah. Are they, are the seeds as a seedlings as i said now probably three years old maybe two yeah. years old and do you leave, so the, se- do you leave the seedlings all, all um flowered I, one, one thing that you mentioned right at the start of the conversation is that the agapanthus are a bit tight in the pots and I think it's a common misconception that they actually like to be really congested. They don't. They they like no. to be like any any flowering plant in the pot. They don't want to be 
really um, overpotted, so a, a small plant in a massive pot, because then they just produce lots of roots. But conversely, uh-huh. they don't. They are very. They're hungry if feeders. If they're pushing out, they yeah. won't get fed. They exactly. Yeah. If they get congested, yeah. then they're not actually going to flower as well as they could do. So I th- think it might be time to maybe lift and split some of the most congested ones you have, Ray. Even if right. you're just splitting them into two or three, and then repot them into some really good, nice free-draining John Innes Number Three compost with a bit of if you. Um, bit more grit added as well so it's nice of free drainage because they've got fleshy roots they don't like to be in um get winter wet but they do like a nutritious fertilizer uh, compost which is why the john innes number three would be great for them and you could do that now ken couldn't you you can actually split agapanthus oh, now God, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah i want to collect the seeds again this year so i'll leave them yeah. a bit longer yeah so um and feeding i started using recently bloodfish and bone right okay is that a reasonable fertiliser? Should I, I be looking for something that's going to be? Personally, um, it depends on when you put when you're using it. If yeah, you're so using blood it fish and bone is quite a slow release fertiliser because yeah. it needs to the bone in particular needs to be broken down by um, sort of fungi and bacteria in the soil before it can be made available to the plants. The blood part of it's taken up fairly quickly, but it's so it's a good general fertiliser. But if you wanted to boost flowering, then the liquid high potash feed, and we always talk about things like tomato fertilizer. Yeah, but feed, yeah but if you, li- any liquid feed is taken up by plants really quickly because it's already in the soil water so things like the blood fish and bone the bone part of it is say it has to be weathered down before the nutrients can be taken up by the plants okay, so right. a bit of high potash is like a quick fix and it will help okay. out those agapanthus and get them to flower along with a bit of division of those really congested plants right okay and one more quick question hydrangeas my wife's got loads of them, she loves them, and she's got big blue flowers on top, but the fading flowers underneath. Mm-hmm. Can she cut the flower, fading flowers off now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Doesn't don't cu- don't cut back too hard. That's the only no. thing with hydrangeas. If you cut them back really hard, you're cutting off the flower buds for exactly. next year's so display. Just, so literally just basically. nibble them off. And uh, she, tell them to put, her, put them aside, because they make a really nice addition to a Christmas wreath. And I hate to mention the Christmas word oh. now, but Terrible. honestly... <laughs> No, we did, have, if, we did have poinsettias last week, yeah, so... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I know, I know. <laughs> put, them in the, put them in the shed and forget about them until December. <laughs> right, yeah, OK. Um, right, maybe I'll... Um, yeah, OK, but as long as it's just dead-heading. Okay. Yeah, literally yeah. just nip the top off, Ray. That's all she needs to do. Yes. Excellent. So Thank you for your call, Ray. Have right. a lovely day and enjoy you the sunshine while it lasts, everybody. <laughs> yep, and nice, nice to hear from you again, Ray. And we go to Stanford La Hope now, don't we, Viv? Is that right? Hello. We're talking yes. melons. Yes, Ooh, I lovely. saw Monty Don last night with melons in the greenhouse. Can you give me information? How do you grow them from seed? Oh, oh you see, you, you see. Need a heated greenhouse. What's impressive is that you watch Gardeners World, but you come to us for the proper <laughs> yes, information. information. Yes. That's what I like to hear. Yes. So. Lucy grows melons in a greenhouse at where yeah. you work. Yeah, I do. I do. So how do you do it? From seed or I do you buy ever plants? No, I do. You be, can buy plants, can't you? You can buy plants, Viv, if you want to. But if you've got a heated propagator, then you can sow them from seed. So so if you've got a propagator, great. Can you? If not, have you or haven't you? No, I haven't at the moment. But, I've, you know, I might, And I have you got a glass house? I've got a greenhouse, yes. Great. Yeah. OK, and you're on your way. Is that where you're wanting to grow them? Is, yes. is that where you want to grow them? Because yes, you can grow some melons off, outside, yes. but it, oh. 
You, um, so if you check the seed packets, some of them now say that they can actually ripen in good summers outside against a south or west facing they would, wall. They would somewhere this sheltered. Year, they? Yeah, and uh, so that so there are some that are British bred now that just have a more cold tolerance to them. So you could look for that if you want to. Yeah. Or I've grown one called Alvaro, which is a lovely Charente type melon, and it's ripening now. And oh my god, it's delicious! <laughs> oh, lovely! <laughs> Smells um, amazing. Um, do they take long to sort of fruit? They do take quite a long time. This is the thing with melons, is that they need a long growing season and they need a good amount of heat and they need a decent sized root system, so grow them in either a big bucket or um, a, a, a big pot or container and keep them well fed and well watered with a high potash fertiliser and you also have to hand pollinate the flowers of your melons. Oh, right. Now, just Lovely. briefly, Lucy, mm. if you were sowing what month would you sow i would do it in um in march you've got to do it quite early so march or going into early april and if you were trying to buy plants when would you have to plant those uh going into may going into may oh. yeah yeah oh lovely but Thank i'll you tell you what so next time lucy's on in the spring Give us another call and then we can update <laughs> I'll guide you, you through it. Yeah. I'll guide you through right. it. Thank you ever so much. That's right. a pleasure. We'll be back to your gardening questions in a moment. But right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, Lucy's got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden. Well, Ken, do you know what? At the moment, the weather is so glorious, sunny. It's a beautiful, beautiful, classic autumn scene at the moment. The sun's shining, leaves are starting to turn. So I've been turning my attention to jobs like pruning my summer raspberries. Did you yeah. have a good crop of raspberries this year? Not bad at all. Yeah, with all that moisture, we had a really, really good harvest of raspberries and the summer types now have finished cropping. The autumns are still going, so don't be tempted to prune those at the moment. But the summer uh, raspberries, they crop on last year's canes. Right. So if you look at the canes now, you will see two so sorts. There's the ones that are completely dead that cropped in this summer and then there's the lovely fresh green ones that are going to be cropping next year so all you do get your secateurs go and cut the ones out that cropped right down to the base and then tie in the new ones in their place do you top them off as well sometimes? you can top them off if they're over the top of your, your wire or yep. you can bend them over we've, we've okay. had a lot of extension growth at the hall this year because of all the rain so we've bent over the tops as well and then tied those in so you get a little bit more cropping power from your raspberries what else you got for us ah well um Every time I walk into the greenhouse at the moment at the hall, oh, my senses are filled with the most delicious smell of melon. We've got melons ripening, and they do take a long time to ripen in our climate, but as soon as you get that waft of perfume, you know that they're ready to pick. Um, and don't leave them too long, because melons can go fusty and sort of soapy if you let them ripen too, too much. So as soon as you get that smell, watch them for a couple of days, and then cut them, bring them in, have them somewhere sunny, and then ripen. Get there with a bit of Parma ham or some raspberries, some of your autumn raspberries. Makes a lovely combination. And also there's other uh, late season crops like dessert grapes. They're ripening now. And also figs. And it's really important to harvest them when they are ripe. Not before and not when they're mouldy. You've got to just keep looking at them and make sure you get them just at the right time. We're going to... Is that Leon C, Dan? That's correct. How is it in Leon C? What a gorgeous day you've got down uh, there. Beautiful, yeah. Uh -huh. Uh, Ken, I've got a yeah. problem with rhubarb. Really? Uh, for the last five years, I've been trying to grow it in pots. Doesn't I've even like tried growing it in the garden. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all I'm getting is short, skinny sticks. 
What am I right. doing wrong? Well, firstly, it's not the best plant for a container. Um, and mainly that's due to the, they like a lot of nutrient, a lot of humus around them. They don't work very well in a pot. However, it can be done, can't it, Lucy? Yeah, it can be done. They, so rhubarb likes a, um, like, like you say, sort of a, a heavier soil. Um, it likes continual moisture. It likes a cool root zone. And if you've got a container that's in a sunny spot, for example, up. Dan, then it might be that the roots are getting a little bit too hot. Uh, rhubarb is actually like a, a real cool season crop. It likes the likes cool, moist conditions. So um, how big is the container you've got your rhubarb in? Oh, it's the biggest uh, plastic containers I could find. Which is what kind of, just to give us an idea. Um, I should imagine the top of it is about two feet across. Okay, that's still, if I would, if you can, you know, like an old dog's bath or something like that, an old tin bath. Yeah. Um, yeah. That would be uh, the size of container you want for your rhubarb. And you'd also need to line the sides with something like bubble plastic so that it's not trying to insulate it from the cold. They're really hardy plants. What you're trying to do is insulate the roots from getting too hot. So oh, if you say you've got, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so you've got to just bear in mind it likes cool, it likes a lot of uh, moisture, it likes a good amount of fertiliser. We mulch ours every, every autumn with yeah. well-rotted manure at the hall. You don't need to do that, but you do need to keep them well-fed. So yeah, a liquid, you, liquid grow more or something like that would be great. Yeah. You did say use heavy soil. Yeah. Now, so, I've got clay soil in the garden. Yeah. But I'm in the pot, so I'm actually using... John is number three. That's good. That's yeah. the right thing to use. That's lovely. It's a nice loam-based, oh, heavy, good structured compost for long-term perennial planting. So that's bang on. That's absolutely spot on, Dan. I think okay, it might Lucy, be, as I say, much. put it somewhere a bit cooler, shadier, and feed, feed, feed. Just one right. last question. You said you've got some in the ground, and that's not doing well no, either. I tried it in the ground, Ken. Ah. Um, but I got the same result in the ground. But how long did you leave it? Because a rhubarb crown... Lead, needs a couple of years yeah, to establishing. Yeah, that's, what, that's what it was in the ground for oh, five years. No, you've tried it then. Yeah, I might yeah. try it again, Dan. Try it, it again. Try it again, and like I say, just sort of keep it well mulched and. Um, Don't dig round it. No. Leave its roots alone and just keep stacking a bit of compost around it and loads of water and you should when be When we right. lift and split them at the hall, we have to leave them for a year before we want yeah. to harvest because they can be quite mm. weak in that first year and then they suddenly get their feet in and off they go. Okay, Lucy, thanks very much. Thanks, Bye. Ken. And we go to Michael in Braintree. Oh, hello. Hi. Um, I've got canners in my garden. Yes. And uh, they're all in pots, and I've got about six of them, and they've virtually exploded this year. They've, um, <laughs> they've, they've, over, well, they've overrun the pots. Now, what I want to do, or try to do, is see if I can plant them in the garden, which is the best way to do it. You wouldn't now the thing is they're not what we it's difficult because i know we're being told that the world is a warmer place and we might not get harsh winters but what you've got to remember is that a canna is not a hardy plant therefore you would generally lift them yeah it would from be a bit the of a ground it's going to be a little risk to take my but a lot of people it, leave them in the ground yeah in your garden can you overwinter dahlias in the ground have you ever tried doing that yeah, uh, dailies are no problem at all. They've, oh, um, they've just yeah. gone through and they keep popping up every year. Yeah, and have you got like a, a relatively free-draining soil? 
Um, yeah, yeah, it's not too yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's probably, again, what's going in your favour. So if you know that dahlias can overwinter in the ground through the, uh, and, and they come back on year on year, and you've got a relatively free-draining soil, I would try it with the canners, but maybe also as an insurance policy, lift some up, and put those somewhere like a frost-free greenhouse. But you've got some in containers already, so I would keep those ones in the containers because mm. you can leave them in the container and dry them off in the winter, can't you? Yeah, yeah I've done that last year, but then, and then um, I repotted them in bigger containers at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And um, they've, they've split the pots. <laughs> they're they're, and, they're um, loving life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, they're, they're, the, the pots that I've got, uh, I haven't got a greenhouse big enough to put all the pots in now. Right. Yeah. Well, like I said, I would just half have a, just have a few, Michael. In the in the you know once they've been um, blackened by the frost, you can lock them down to the ground anyhow. So yeah, you, and then you can even stack them on top of each other in the greenhouse because they're not going to grow through the winter. So often, I we have cannas in the borders at the at the Donnellan Hall, and that's what I tend to do with them. They're grown in pots. We actually plunge the pots in the ground and then lift them up in the autumn and whack them back and put them in the greenhouse, and I forget about them till the spring. Um, so do that, but but have a go and and see what they do um, in the ground yeah. over. Yeah, I, was, I was thinking about taking them out of the pots or splitting the pots, taking them out and then putting mm. a spade through them and putting some in the greenhouse and then planting some out in the garden. Or use, a, use an old bread knife. It might be better for you. You'll get a better cut with an old bread knife than you will with a spade. Yeah, and I'll I, ask I, permission I from the knife owner first. Knife big enough. <laughs> <laughs> or a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't recommend chainsaws. Not under health and safety. No, 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 no. Can, I, you can use a chainsaw. What is the best thing to feed them and I've been feeding them on liquid chicken pallets. Right, that's probably why they're doing so well, Mike. Mm. I, I'd imagine that's like rocket fuel for them. Will that produce more? That will actually produce more green, more leaf than it will flower. Yeah, though, it will. Isn't it? it will. If you're growing some, some of the cannas have really gorgeous flowers, and they're growing as much of the flowers as they are for the foliage. So, yeah, like Ken says, if if you want more flowers, then we'd recommend something more balanced or a high potash feed. Chicken yeah. pellets are quite high nitrogen, which is why you're getting all that amazing lush growth. That. You just have to be careful that the lush growth is going to be more frost tender. So just maybe don't be feeding them with chicken pellets anymore because you're wanting to try and harden that growth up to get them through the winter if they're going to be yeah. outside. You need to okay. stop feeding like that really August at the latest. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Thanks a lot. Pleasure. Good luck. That's Michael in Braintree. Just going back to the text where I remember that we couldn't get Kim was talking about hebes actually. Oh, she we tried to work the, it out, weren't we? And yeah, it was a G into the an H. Key, That's yeah. what it was. Can you tell me the oh, best time to cut back thanks, hebes? Now, it would depend on whether they're old or young. Yeah, there's a, it, hebes is such a massive genus. Uh, so, and so which, to try whether and it's then, a small leaf, large leaf one. Um, generally, hebes can be cut back hard. But there's a risk attached if they're old. I'm talking about, yeah. say, a 15-year-old I've Hebe. had luck sometimes, and other times it hasn't worked. They just die so, sometimes, don't yeah, they? Yeah, some respond well and others don't. So um, if you know the species or the variety, Kim, it was Kim, wasn't it? Kim. Yeah, then maybe we could, we, if you let us know that mm. part, that would be useful. But as a general rule, with any, I think with any shrub that, that you think, right, can it be renovated? If you look into the centre where the old parts are, if you can see little tiny buds there then or shoots, you then react. you can. But, again, would you say this is the right time of year to do it? I would no, be tempted spring, really. to leave it till the spring. Yeah. 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 So, so that's a, a very approximate guy because we don't know exactly what Hebe you've got, but hopefully <laughs> that helps. There you go. Um, now let's go to... Where we should, i tell you where we're going to go. We're going to Burnham on Crouch, aren't we, Christine? 
Hello there, Ken. Hello, Lucy. We go, Hi, this is Ray country you live in, then, do you? <laughs> oh, yes, it's Ray country, yes. Is it, have, you seen the, yes. have you seen them out there picking his blackberries in the hedgerows? Yeah, you have to watch for him. He's <laughs> nicking all the blackberries out of Burnham, you know. Oh, that's, that's normal for Ray. Yeah, that's normal for He's got a lovely day to do it, then, if he's home now, yeah. How can we help you today, um, Christine? A couple of questions. I've got some hollyhock seeds. Some a friend gave me and some I've kept for my own double red one, which I bought this year as a plant. Mm. And I've also got some fox foxglove seeds from my foxgloves. I wondered, should I plant some now or should I leave them till next year? The sowing them. Yeah. Um, so the foxgloves, even if you sowed them now, they would not flower next year. They would still be too small. They, they should have really been... If you want them to flower for next year, you need to have been sowing them, say, in June or July. Mm. So, um, so in a way, there's not an awful lot to be gained by sowing them now you could sow some in this in early spring, spring. And they will then they will then bulk up uh, and be a decent size to then flower the following year so that's 2021 mm-hmm. 20, isn't it oh goodness yeah, yeah, 21. I mean, I've got some, the flowering 21 in the garden you know i have got some that are oh, growing yeah. in the garden that Great. you know sown themselves so you know size. i just collect some seeds some i leave so yes yeah well yeah. i would say i so that's that's what you you could either sow them there's nothing wrong with sowing them but they wouldn't they wouldn't give you any advantage to sow them now as opposed to in the spring. So, mm. um, and with the hollyhocks, um, yeah, why not? I mean, they, they take a little while to bulk up to flower. Um, mm. We have them self-sowing in all the borders at the hall. And, and I just leave, if they're in a good place, I leave them. If they're at the, well back of, at the back of the border where they can do their thing, mm. I leave them there. And then if they're at the front where they're going to get trampled on or, 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 or just too tall for the front of the border, then I tran- either transplant them if they're still small enough or I, I sacrifice them. Which sounds very dramatic, doesn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, except to me. Also, yeah. my, my double red one, if the seed, does it come true to type, Lucy, or doesn't it always? Oh, I don't no. know. I don't know. And I would, I would imagine, because they do cross quite freely. Mm. I mean, the flowers are so um, attractive to they bees are. and things. that the, I, I wouldn't like to say, Christine. No, but, I mean, no. hopefully, hopefully, yes, but I'm, I'm not sure. No, not, no. No, guarantee, <laughs> no guarantee, Christine. No, no, nothing to lose, though. It's just interesting. Oh, no, nothing Definitely. to lose at all. Definitely, yeah. Okay, thank, no, thanks for your help. That's Christine from Burnham. And then I'll tell you where we go next. I'll tell you, we'll, we'll just go down the road to Haybridge, shall we, and talk to Patricia. Is that right, Patricia? Burnham yes, to Haybridge? Good morning. Good morning. Um, I've got a box hedge, and it's covered in spiders, which are eating the leaves. What can I do about it? No. Ken, I'm just looking at Ken's no. puzzled face, and I'm, I would equally be puzzled. because it's, so, It can't be the spiders. The, spiders are just an autumn thing. Yeah, you might have... So if the leaves are definitely being eaten, Patricia, you might have something like box tree uh, caterpillar, but the spiders themselves are just... They're, they're, they're There's not loads be, around this year. Yeah, it's a great yeah. year for spiders. Yeah, they're not going to be... Eat, the spiders are a red herring. They're not going to be eating anything. They're just enjoying... Probably feeding, maybe ho- hopefully feeding on the caterpillars. <laughs> or the eggs. I haven't yeah. seen any caterpillars. You there might not. Eggs about. Right. Now, you've seen what, sorry? I've seen lots of eggs on the leaves. That's the caterpillar, that'll be the eggs. Now, this year, I'm just going experience from the garden, so I'm trying to keep an eye on this as a problem. The, the moth seems to have actually laid them quite recently. And oh, so like a within the last, yeah, they can sometimes get three in a year. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so the chances are that they will still develop into caterpillars, won't they? They might do. So would they, they might. Be, would they be hardy enough then? I don't know how they go through the winter. It's going to depend on the autumn, isn't it? Yeah. I would still personally, I'd 
spray because that's the only way you're going to prevent isn't it at the moment yeah and it might be uh patricia that because the caterpillars could be feeding sort of inside the the box and maybe that's why you're not, they're not clearly vis- visible so rather than not on the extremities but actually sort of feeding in the shelter and the protection of in the inner parts of the box plants so what yeah. should i spray with well, Ken, you were talking about this before, Ultra weren't you? Is yeah. one of the one of the ones that's worth starting with, and there's a Westland one that I can't remember the name of. Mm. There's two, but if you're doing it, if you've got them now, you'll have them next year. Oh. I'm very cheerful here. Uh, yes. But they can be controlled just by constant getting rid of them, um, and that's the way you've got to do it. And I think, personally, I would spray even now, even though it's late in the season, because you don't know what's going on in there. Yeah, if you can steal a march on the population for next yeah. year, then that's that's a very sensible approach to take, isn't it? And then watch very early on in March, if it's a warm March, you're going to have to have another crack at it. OK, thanks very much. Don't Thank give you. up, though. Yeah. Because <laughs> they do come back from it, don't they? They get defoliated, but they will come back, won't they? So yeah. it's, not, it's not a... a but it's not the spider's fault. No. No. And there's some incredible web. We went somewhere <laughs> where there were, the other day I went past an area of um, mainly old thistle flowers, a yeah. whole area of thistle. And you looked across it and it was just web, 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 web. It was oh, like, and it was early morning. And sunshine. It, oh, with, yeah. the, with the dew on it. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> looked really good. <laughs> Although I don't, I'm early. not into spiders particularly, <laughs> but the webs are fantastic. Um, Beverly, we're not talking about spiders, are we? No, no, although I did have one drop on my head this morning. Right, what can we do for you, Beverly? Right. I have um, a seven foot high, nearly 20 year old yucca. Oh, nice. And it's got uh, one, two, three, four, five um, plantlets <laughs> growing on the, the main stem. How should I, or how can I reduce them? Oh, or, so you when, know, when you, when you say reduce, on. do you want to prop, you want to propagate them? Do you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. and they're growing up at the, the height of the main stem, or are they around the base? No, they're around the base. Around the base. Mainly so you, about, uh, from right at the base to about six inches. Yeah, I wouldn't do anything now, Beverly. I would because I would wait until the spring, and then I would get a knife and try to chop them off and hope that they've got some root attached to the base. And then you can just transplant them into a new pot. Um, but as I say, don't do anything now because yuccas aren't fully hard. In fact, give us another ring in the spring and we'll <laughs> explain. It's a very good idea. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Back to your calls and texts in a moment, but let's take a final look at the top tips that Lucy's got for us. Uh, I went to a lovely open garden a few weekends ago called Alton Wick, just near Malden, and I was so blown away by all the tropical lushness that it showed me. Uh, I then purchased from them some salvias. Uh, I love salvias, and uh, especially... Is this the woody one? There's there's woody one. Well, it's both, Ken, actually. I've got some of the, the woodier types, and then some that are more soft and what I call herbaceous. So I've bought... I, I basically indulge myself because I do love them and I love the hot colours that they display at the, at the end of the season. They're really good for livening up a late summer colour border. But what you can do now with salvias and also with penstemons is take cuttings. And what you're looking for is a non-flowering side shoot, uh, 
um, and cut that off about maybe three inches long, remove the lower leaves from that and then dibble four or five around the edge of a five or six inch diameter pot. Put them somewhere so it's they're out of strong sunlight. They want to be in a shadier position so they're not going to get scorched by the sun at this time of year because we can still have some very hot days. Uh, so put them somewhere where they're going to get nice warmth, not strong sunlight, not deep shade, and they will be rooting come the autumn. What else you got for us? I'm um, sure you've got another tip, haven't you? <laughs> well, this is again going on about flower borders because at this time of year, if you can find a, a lovely autumn flower border that's been designed with things such as salvias and dahlias and rebeccias and heleniums, they do look absolutely fantastic at the moment. But what you can do to prolong the display of certain plants is deadhead them. And one plant I would definitely jump in and deadhead every few days is the dahlia. Dailies at the moment are looking fantastic, but you will get flowers going into November, even later till the first frost, if you keep regularly deadheading the, the flowers. And what you're looking for, because it's quite difficult to tell the buds and the deadheads apart, a bud that's going to come into a flower, it has got a rounded tip, but a deadhead from a daily flower is it? pointed. Mm. So look for the pointed tips, nip them off with your finger and thumb, and that will prolong the display of your dahlias. We're going to go straight back to the phones and we'll talk to David from Hadley. You've got, is it ground elder as a problem, David? Yes, I'm afraid so. I could have got a prize for my ground elder. How do I stop it, please? Where is it? Is it in the beds or where? where's it growing? In the beds, in the flower beds, in amongst everything. Right, mm. is it? And my next question is, are you growing herbaceous plants or shrubs or is it a mix? Um, essentially, it's a mix, but it's in amongst the, uh, the roses, it's in amongst the irises, it's in amongst everything that's there. Yeah. Oh, David, we feel your pain. I've I've um, had that kind of um, border facing me before, and it's a bit soul destroying. Um, so you've got two options. Um, you could. Uh, and one of them is a bit drastic but it could be done you could uh, in the autumn take out the plants that you want to keep and bed them in somewhere separate uh, and then go through that border uh, because the the good thing about ground elder as opposed to other perennial weeds like mare's tail or bindweed is that, that you can dig it out it's actually shallow rooting to a degree it will only go down about Eight inches, if you use a fork. ten inches, something like that. So you could go through that border and fork it all out, and then religiously, in future years, if you see any pieces popping up, get them out before they get too bad. So that is one thing that you can do. How does that make you feel? Yeah, it sounds like hard work. I was hoping you were going to an easier method. Well, would you be happy to spray? Because that's yes. another option. Um, yes. So you need a spray, a hood on the sprayer, wouldn't you? If you've got herbaceous plants, yeah, you'd need to um, either protect the the plants that you want to keep with something like an upturned bucket, or like Ken says, a, a sheet, or have a hood on the sprayer. But you could, in theory, if you wanted to, use a glyphosate-based spray. Um, which then, as applied to the foliage, travels back down into the root system. Now, I always feel very nervous now about advising about glyphosate because it has been linked to being carcinogenic. There's uh, certain countries that are taking it off the market. So I will give you that information and leave it with you. I think that's the best thing I can say here. It's still available in the UK if you want to use it. And you, you can't emphasise enough that the British... Um regulations and, and controls are mm. one of the highest in the world as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you so, know, although we've seen it in other countries um, going down that route, we can't write, write that off completely. No, that's why the sale yeah. is an option. But yeah. as I say, there's also the digging out if you want to. Yeah. But if you did use a spray, you would need to make sure there's a massive amount of ground elder leaves to spray. The more surface area you can spray, the more effective any weaker the uptake is. And if you get it in amongst plants, you could use a wipe. Now, the wipe you would have to see that you don't touch other green plants with, but you could wipe it onto the leaf of the ground elder. Hmm. I was thinking of what, iris. What, a wipe? what does that mean, a wipe? Is it you a buy, you what? buy, it's a gel. It's a gel which has yeah. a wipe, a sponge wipe with it, which means you wipe the leaf with it. And that's glyphosate. Is there any yes. alternatives yeah. to glyphosate? No. I think because the... <laughs> no, no I'm sorry. But that's what we well, there, need. Is, there is, but... We'll they... need another a very effective systemic weed killer. That would be There perfect. is the one with, what's it, acid? Um, the pelagonic acid. But pelagonic that, acid. But the acid but... just scorches the foliage. It doesn't exactly. really go down to the it's root contact, system. That's why it? we're in a bit of a... I think gardeners at the minute are with perennial weed control in a bit of a quandary, aren't we? Yeah. But as I say, if you wanted to, going back to digging it out, I the garden I took over, um, my, my own private, garden had loads of ground elder in it and my husband and I we have cleared the garden of ground elder so it can be done it was when we're making a brand new garden so it was easy to clear the decks go in there dig it all up job done can be done can be done because Lucy's done it (laughs) Pat from Colchester we're talking beans are we runner beans yes runner beans Um, we had a reasonable crop so far and then a couple of weeks ago all the flowers started dropping off and now any beans that were on there are just turning yellow and completely dried up. So I don't know what we're doing wrong. We water well every night. and Yeah. yeah I've never had it happen before. Oh, Pat, so, so where are these beans growing? Are they in an exposed, windy site, for example? Are they nice and sheltered, or what's going on? No, they're sheltered behind a, a, or by the side of a fence. Yeah. And um, they get sunshine, but as I say, they get a good watering every night. And we have had a good crop, but just this last couple of weeks, it's all gone pear-shaped. They're, just, <laughs> they're having a lull. They might, be yeah. just, they might have just exhausted themselves. And so you say you're watering every night. Are you, are you feeding them as well? Uh, yes. And what, what feed are you using? Um, Tomorite. Okay, it might be worth going for something that's something uh, something that's got a bit more nitrogen in it. So Tomorite, again, is great for flowering and fruiting. But with mm. runner beans, they have a massive foliar system you know they are lush jungly plants and if yep. you give them something like grow more or even we mentioned before in the program chicken pellets which are quite high mm. nitrogen that might just be enough to pep the foliage up all right okay so got just plenty of foliage on there but um, brilliant. yeah, yeah. And my, we, before. <laughs> my, my, my parents like i say they're retired smallholders now but my my father used to overhead irrigate runner beans every year with seaweed fertilizer yeah oh they loved it we would be we'd be picking beans well into november so you could actually you could spray with something like maxi crop or one of the yes. fo- seaweed based feeds exactly and just oh. also check pat that there's not any old beans hiding on the plants because they'll be trying to because that to will seed. then suppress the yeah. new pods forming and then what will happen is those pods will start to develop but the old beans will dominate them and then the new pods will abort okay oh, right yeah lovely thank you thank you for that's always important because people forget that actually plants are trying to produce seed yeah. aren't they they're, they're trying to reproduce oh if i if i missed some old beans when i was picking them from mum and dad i'd get right told, right told off <laughs> angie from south end we're talking apples is that right angie Yes, good morning, um, guys. Yeah, um, I think my apples are, like, growing really well, but when do I pick them? 
When they're ready. How about that for an answer? <laughs> Did you like that one, Angie? You're so glad you phoned in there, Angie. Yes, aren't you? when they're ready. Right. Um, how can you tell? You, you know, can tell. I mean, right. Okay, here's how you tell. You, yeah. you go to your apple tree. Yeah. You hold the apple in your hand, in your palm of your hand, mm. and you lift it very slightly to about another, say, thir- what do you reckon, 30 degrees up? Yeah, something like that. Yep. If it comes off in your hand, it's ready. If it doesn't, you leave it. Okay. It's All as, right. it, there's no other. Is there any other way? No, there's no. There's not really. There. So, Angie, do you know what variety you've got of apple? No, it's beautiful red. Right. <laughs> they're red apples. Because some, if you know the variety, yeah, then you'll you know if tell. it's an early, mid, or late season variety. That determines the picking time. Your russets, you, your Bramleys are all late, aren't they? Yeah. Coxes are, shouldn't be picked yet. Are they? you getting windfalls on the ground yet? Uh, no. No, they're right. Not ready. Well, then, because that can sometimes be a sign. It can also indicate um, drought or a pest attack. But but if you do get windfalls on the ground, that can sometimes be again an indicator that things are ready. The abscission layer, getting getting sciency about it. The abscission layer, which is this little layer of cells between the stalk and the apple, weakens, that's and it. at that point, then the apple falls from the tree, and that's when you know they're ready. So that's. Okay. Can so I cheekily the, ask you another question? So the, yes, of course you can, Angie. Yeah. Quick question, Angie. Yes. Um, it's got black marks on the leaves. Which has? The, um, your apple. The rose bush. Oh, your rose bush. Oh, so that's going to be black spot, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Are, have I, are they black round spots? Yeah. Yeah, black spot. Yeah, I, I know. Cleanliness. Yeah, and to be honest, if you have black spot this late in the year, it's probably not going to, being very practical no. about it, it's not going to affect the health of the rose much this year. But any leaves that fall, do rake them up and dispose of them off site, and then that will stop it coming back hopefully next year. Okay, now we've got a few texts that we should get through. Should I put my lemon tree in the greenhouse over the winter? And that's Julie from Chelmsford. They're not hardy, are they? Well, no, there's some that are marketed as being hardy, but I still think as a as a specific as a genus, citrus aren't particularly hardy. So I think because they're expensive plants, I'd be tempted to put it somewhere well lit, frost free, uh, keep it moist, not too dry, uh, but not too wet. That kind of like just moist, sticking over thing. Wilkin did a trial on citrus outside. Mm. Um, they are no more. They well, they, so they that was the outcome of the well. trial. No, it was an interesting trial. They've, oh, they've gone through many, many different fruits looking at what could be cropped in the UK. Yeah. And that was one of the ones they trialled, which I thought was fascinating. But they're not 100% hardy, even though they, they say they are, aren't they? Mm. Um, right. Hi, guys. Didn't have one flower or gooseberry on my bush this year. What am I doing wrong and what can I do for it next year? Oh. It could be... that. So the answer is definitely don't prune it. I was going to say, because gooseberries crop on the one-year-old growth and older, right. so that the only thing I can think of is it's maybe it's a very young plant or it was maybe it had a, what we call a renovation prune and everything was cut back really hard. So as long as it's looking healthy, leave it, and it should then flower on the growth That's next, happened this yeah, year. It flowers, like I say, on one-year-old and two-year-old growth. And the only thing that you need to do with the gooseberry really is open the centre up, yeah. isn't it? And take out very old wood, and that's all you need to worry about, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Um, how could, <laughs> tell me how to grow a bird of paradise from seed. Wow. <laughs> and that's Phil. Uh, patience, would you say, first? I think, yes, yeah. I think any plant that's grown from seed, uh, because obviously bird of paradise, the main thing for them is that you want them to flower. They have beautiful flowers. 
And any plant that's grown from seed rather than, say, a division or cutting or something, it goes back to its juvenile phase. And then it means that it could take a good seven or eight years for it to get to maturity and flower. Wow. And that's they, a project, isn't and it? And they do like incredibly good amounts of light. Mm-hmm. And they like moisture around them as well, don't they? So, yeah. in fact, you've got to be quite careful how you, you, know, you, you know, it's, it's such a long, long job. You're playing the long it? game if you're doing that, aren't you? It really is a long, long job indeed. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Thank you very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. If you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, don't forget you can download this programme. Take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. If you have a gardening question for us, why not hold it till next week and give us a call in the morning on 0800 111 4041 and be part of the programme. Yes, that's every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11.